Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We are going to finish our series of sermons on stewardship today. And uh, we're going to do that by reading in Mark 14, just a beautiful, a beautiful episode here in uh, the life of Jesus right before he goes to the cross. And uh, so let's, let's look at that. Mark 14, starting in verse 3. And we'll read through verse 9. It says, While he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Let me pray over this passage. Lord, I thank you for your word that reminds us of the glory that you deserve and the honor and devotion that is demanded of us as followers of Christ. And so God, as we think about our giving, which may not seem the most spiritual, God, I pray you would put it in the context of what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. Teach us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there was a mother who wanted to teach her daughter 
how to give in church. And so she, before church, she gave her a dollar and a, and a quarter and said, you put in the offering plate, whatever you want to put in, whichever one, and you can keep the other. And so they went to church and they were coming out of church and the mother said, well, which did you give? And she said, well, I was going to give the dollar, but the guy up on stage said that I should, you know, God loves a cheerful giver and I'd be more happy given the quarter. So I, I gave the quarter. And uh, so we've been doing enough studies, I hope, in the issue of stewardship and the issue of giving that we understand that being a cheerful giver is not about giving the amount that we decide would make us the happiest, right? It is giving, in, it's the giving that's lined up with the heart of God. It is aligning our spirit and our heart up in a way that we hear what God desires and we give that and that is a cheerful giver. But we've talked about this and we're going to address, not today, we're going to address the amount, right? We have talked a lot over the last three weeks. We talked about putting all on the altar and what that meant. We talked about why we give. We talked about how we should give. And now is the time that everyone kind of dreads how much should we give, right? That's kind of the rubber meeting the road. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um... I'm going to make this quick and point painless, really. I'm just going to ask the question, how much do we give to the Lord? And here's the answer, everything. Everything is the Lord's. Look in Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship what does it mean to be a living sacrifice what does it mean to be a living sacrifice we talked about the altar three weeks ago, and we said the altar was a place of full surrender, of complete sacrifice, and of sure death. And the sacrifice that was living that would come and be laid on that altar means that they would be fully surrendered to Jesus, they would sacrifice all to Jesus, and they would die daily to the Lord. To put it maybe another way, being a living sacrifice is taking a blank piece of paper and at the top saying, my commitment to Christ. And you go down to the bottom of this blank paper and you sign it as you were agreeing to it. And then you hand this blank paper over to Jesus and say, fill in whatever terms that you want. That's a living sacrifice. Whatever Jesus says to do, I'm going to do. Whatever he says to give, I'm going to give. Wherever he says I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Whoever he says I need to talk to, I'm going to talk to. It is a complete and full surrender. The ultimate example of being a living sacrifice was Jesus. He willingly went to the cross, even though he was in the garden saying, I don't really want to do this, but not my will, but your will. 
And he went to the cross in our stead. That is our example. He, gave, he sacrificed and gave up everything to be in obedience to the will of God. So how much do we give to the Lord? Everything. So there you go. No, I'm just teasing. My sermon's not done. You're like, no way. No, it's, you know, I'm not. I got more. I got more to say. Um, anyway, we are to give everything to the Lord. And so let me next then give us a reminder really of the last, the last three weeks of our sermons. And so here's the reminder. All that we have is from the Lord. We're to give everything to the Lord. And I hope one of the things you've gathered over the last three weeks is that your stuff is not your stuff. It's God's stuff. It is God's. He's given it to you. So when David began to receive offerings from the people of God so that Solomon could later build the temple, remember David could not build the temple. He was a man of war and God says, you're not going to build it, but your son will. So David started gathering all the supplies and he asked the people to give and they started bringing all this and it's a staggering amount. If you read 1 Corinthians or Chronicles 29, it's a staggering amount of offering they give. And it says in 29, 1 Chronicles 29, they did so with a whole heart and willingly. And the people rejoiced. Why did they rejoice in this giving? Because of what it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. David says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. He's saying, we, all we've done is taken all this stuff that you've given us and transferred it right back into your hands. All that we have is from the Lord. They were only able to give generously because the Lord had given it to them. And Paul reiterates this to the Corinthian church in a different way. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, for who regards you as superior? There was this idea that I've given, and so look how much better I am because I have given. And he says, who, who thinks you're superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? They were giving, and they're saying, look how much I have given. I am superior to all of you. And he's saying, you're just taking God's stuff and giving it to God. What makes you think you're so much, you know? And so he was trying to put them back into a right mind. So when we consider our giving to the church, we need to remember that all that we have has been given to us. And he gave it to us not only so that we could take care of our family, but that we could have some extra to give. Over the last three weeks, I hope this truth stood out. It's a truth that I think must be incorporated in all that we do, that all that we have is God's. Not just our money, but our health and our family and our homes and our cars and our time and our recreation our talents, all that we have has been given to us. It's a grace given to us by God. 
And that means everything we do, all that we think, how we treat others, how we handle our possessions, all of that is about being managers of God's stuff. So we're to give everything to the Lord because it all comes from the Lord. And that brings us to the idea of what stewardship means. And here's the basic principle that I want us to remember All is to be used for the Lord's purpose. All is to be used for the Lord's purpose. That's going to bring us back to the story that we started with, reading um, Mark 14. It's a beautiful story about devotion and about sacrifice and surrender. And there's so much to draw out of that passage that I'm not going to be able to do today. But it's, it's worth sitting and thinking through. And then reading the other gospel Uh, accounts of the same story. But here's this woman who came and gave this extravagant, beautiful gift to Jesus. And we see, first of all, she gave her gift to Jesus. Look in verse three again. While he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, talking about Jesus, and reclining at the the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Women were generally not part of these type of dinners. Unless they were serving, they didn't get to sit around the table. They didn't come in and interrupt. And so this woman decides to cross over all these barriers and obstacles and cultural norms so she can get to Jesus. She gets to Jesus and she brings this this vial of perfume. It's not vile perfume, it's a vial of perfume, okay? So this this bottle was probably the size, um, in in another gospel account, it, it says it's about a pound, which means it would be about the size of a plastic water bottle, about a pint. And it was a long, it, it was a little, container without handles that had a long neck and it was sealed to make sure that that perfume stayed um, pure and good, sealed off. And, and, in, and so she, she had this and when she broke that vial, however it was broken, the, the, the intent or the idea is she wouldn't have poured a little bit out and saved the rest. Breaking the vial meant she gave it all to Jesus. She poured it out all upon him. She poured it on his head as if she was anointing him king. We read the, the, the same account in the Gospel of John, and she, is, she pours it on his feet, and she's wiping it with her hair to make sure that he is anointed. It's this devotion and reverence of who Jesus is. There's, the, the, there's that uh, video that is the, the Jesus Project. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the Jesus Project. And it was a way to show the gospel through video. And, and they translated it into all different countries. And they sit and show a movie of the gospel of Luke. And it doesn't matter Whenever I see that, I see this scene with the woman wiping her, her she's crying, she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, and I lose it, okay? I just, it is, a, it is a moving scene. 
And so she's given it all to him. And this vial was, was filled with pure nard. Nard was a perfume made from a plant from India. So it wasn't like easily accessed. This was expensive to get and to make. It was, and, and when it says it was pure nard, it's the idea of genuine. This was not a cheap knockoff. This wasn't the fancy perfume you get at one store, but you can go to Walmart and get the thing that smells the same, okay? It's not, it's not that. It is, it, it was genuine. It was pure. It was real. And we were told it was very costly. We read later in this passage that the disciples, and if we read John's account, we'll find specifically it was Judas who said, we could have sold this for 300 denarii. Well, a denarii was a day's wage for an average worker. And they didn't have weekends back then. They worked six days a week and then they had the Sabbath off. You take six times 52, you get 312 days. This was a year's wages. Now you just think about what you make in a year. Think about would you be able to just purchase something with your year's wage like right now. So my guess is this woman, it was her life savings. She went and she gathered all that she could have ever made, all her savings, and she bought this perfume and she brought it to Jesus. And so she took this rare, expensive, extravagant gift and she poured it out on Jesus, poured it out on his head because he is the king poured it out on his feet because he is to be worshipped and humbled herself before him, made a fool of herself in front of the, the guests. How dare this woman come in? In fact, in one version, it's like, does he know what kind of woman this is that he's allowing this to do this to her? She didn't care. She was devoted to her Savior. She gave her gift to Jesus, and when she was criticized, Jesus correct them. And what we find is Jesus says in verse 8, she gave all that she had. He says in, in verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand before, uh, for the burial. She's done what she could has the sense of she's given all that she could give. She's done all that she could do. She's, she did what she could. And she gave it all to Jesus to be used for the purpose of what Jesus saw fit. That is to say, this was something of a prophetic act. Mary didn't know what was going to happen in the next five days. This was two days. If we read the very beginning of Mark, we'd find it's two days before the Passover. And the Passover is when Jesus had his last supper. And by the next day, he was, he was dead. You know, they took him that night. They crucified him. And by by that afternoon, he was in the tomb. But she didn't know that. I mean, he'd been telling everybody this, but no one ever understood. But he says he was going, he was going to die. And so she's anointing him. And I love how Mark says, no matter where the gospel is preached, what this woman's done, this is going to be told about her. Because she just 
gave it all to Christ. She surrendered everything to him. That's the principle we've been talking about. Everything we have is the Lord's. And we turn it over to him and say, however you want me to use this. If the scripture says I need to take care of my family and I haven't been, then I need to be doing that. It says it's better than an un- we're, we're no better than an unbeliever if we're not taking care of our family. If it says, I, w- I want you to give in this fashion or handle your money this way, then, then we do what it says. It's turning everything over. If it says, uh, if, if the Lord tells us, hey, you need to open your home to make room for, for someone, or if, or if we need to do wh- whatever, give our, our talents to whatever's going on. Uh, you get what I'm saying? Everything that we have is the Lord, so it all needs to be used according to his purpose if we're going to be good stewards of it. She didn't know that she was anointing him, but he said, you are anointing me before my burial. We're to give all that we have to Jesus and to be used as he wants. For example, 1 Peter 4.10, look what it says. Talking to believers, as each one has received a special gift, Every believer here, anyone who's ever trusted in Christ, you've received at least one spiritual gift. He says, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He's talking about the spiritual gift the Holy Spirit has given us and just like everything else in our life. We would not have that spiritual gift unless the Holy Spirit gave it to us and to be good stewards of it, we need to utilize it to serve others. Because it's not ours. It's, we're just, it's a gift the Spirit gave us, and we're giving it back to God. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we simply cannot give part of ourselves or part of our, of our lives to him. He wants it all. That's a living sacrifice. There's a story of a lawyer, I'm assuming this is more of a parable. I don't think this really happened, but there's a story of a lawyer who was defending a man accused of burglary, and he used a creative defense. He said, look, my, my client, this sounds just like a lawyer, my client, you can't really say he is entirely at fault. He just stuck his arm in the window, and he stole a couple of trifling things. Now, his arm is not his, his whole self, so you really can't condemn him as his whole self because it's arm who did the crime, right? And that, just like a lawyer, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the judge said, well, your reasoning's pretty sound. He says, okay, so I sentence your client's arm to one year imprisonment and he can, he can go with it or not, right? <laughs> well, the defendant smiled and And uh, using his lawyer, getting lawyer's help, he removed his false arm, which he had, and laid it on the judge's bench and walked out, right? See, that will not work in God's economy, right? You cannot give part of yourself to Christ. There isn't a half of a Christian or three quarters of a follower of Christ. You're either all in or you're not right? 
And that means everything I've got, everything I am, every who I am, my personality, my time, my possessions, my talents, it's all his. I'm giving it all to him and letting him do what he wants. It's to be used for his purpose. So we're to give everything to the Lord because it came from the Lord and it's to be used according to his purposes. And you're like, that's great. Those are great principles. What, how do I apply this practically? Well, here's, here's the practice. Where in the world do we start in giving to the Lord? Where do we start? 10%, listen to me, 10% is a great starting point. 10% is a great starting point. The word tithe means 10%. You hear the church say, you know, we ask for tithes and offerings or, or whatever, or the Lord requires tithes and offerings. Tithe means 10%. And to put a real fine point on it, it means 10% of your income. And the law, you know, before the law, before Moses, before the Exodus, tithe was set as an example for us to see. Abraham recognized Melchizedek back in Genesis 14. He was the, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, a priest of God. And Abraham gave him a gift. Look what it says in Genesis 14, 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the Most High, God Most High. And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says, he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of all. Abraham had just went out and conquered several different kings to rescue Lot and, and came back with the spoils and he gave 10% to Melchizedek. And when Hebrews, the author of Hebrews reads this in Genesis and he begins to write about Melchizedek and, and Hebrews 9, we're not gonna, or Hebrews 7, we're not gonna turn there, but you can later, it shows this act of Abraham offering a tithe to Melchizedek is showing that it is better than the law. That it was not, it wasn't, the priests through Abraham were giving an offering to this Melchizedek. And so it predates the law. Abraham giving a tithe to the king of righteousness, which is what Melchizedek means, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, because he's the king of Salem, and that's what the word means, king of righteousness, king of priests, the priest king of God, it predates the law. So you might say, hey, we are under grace. We are not under the law, and the, we are not required for the tithe. And I'd say, amen, I agree with you. We are not required by the law to give a tithe, because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. But the law did require a tithe, and grace never demands less than the law. Let me tell you what I mean. The law said, 
don't hate anybody, don't murder, you know, don't murder anyone. And Jesus says in Matthew 5.21, you've heard it that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable in court. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. The law says don't murder, and Jesus says, I demand more. It's not about, I mean, all of us are sitting here not killing people, but the law says you can't hate your brother. That's more than the law. The law says in Matthew 5, 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, Jesus came and talked about his kingdom, that is, surrendering to Jesus as king, and he says, here's what the law requires, but grace always demands more. Not just fulfilling the letter of the law. Grace never expects less than the law. Grace always demands more than the law. So if, listen to me, if the law expected 10%, then grace demands at least 10%. So what we find as our guide is with Paul, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Now I say, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And here's the principle. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all of sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. God's going to provide for you so that you will have something to give. So here's what I'm saying. We are not bound by the law to give 10%. We are not. I don't think we are bound by the law to give a tithe. But I'm saying if the law required it, wouldn't grace mean we think about that as our training wheels, is what I would say. Our tithe is our training wheels. What are, what are training wheels? Anyone learn to ride a bike with training wheels? Anybody? I, I, I didn't ride a bike till I was like nine or something like that because I kept falling over. I didn't, but they didn't use training wheels for me. But anyway, training wheels you put on the rear of a bike so that the person begins to learn a usable sense of balance so that they don't get on the bike and fall over. It's, it's this thing to help you remain upright. In England, training wheels are called stabilizers. That, that's, a, that's an interesting picture. So once the, lane, the learner begins to gain their balance, they're more stabilized on the bike, the training wheels begin to be moved up a little bit, and pretty soon they're gone because you don't need them. You can just ride everywhere you want to go. Doing the wheelies and spinning out and jumping, doing ramps, you know. You're ready to go without those training wheels. 
Now, I've said that the tithe, this 10%, they're the training wheels to our giving. Because once a person begins to, to give and they, they realize, okay, I, I can trust God to give back 10% of what's his. I can trust him that I'm going to survive. And you start receiving the blessings of what it means to give to the Lord. You're like, I wonder... I wonder what happens if I give this, or maybe I'll give some time here, or, or maybe I will use my car in this fashion, or, or whatever it is. You begin to see everything that the Lord has given you, and you're like, how do I give this back to the Lord? Because I can't wait to see the blessings that are going to come back. It's not selfish, but it's just like God does this. And once they begin to have encountered some balance in their finances, they get stable in, in, in their income or whatever, then the tithe becomes a starting point, And then we're able to do so much more for the name of our Savior. In a recent study about giving patterns in churches of five major denominations, it showed that 75% of the money given to churches comes from 25% of the people. It showed that those giving, quote, what they can afford each week, it averaged $1,882 a year. And those who would commit to a tithe, 10%, they gave an average of $4,042 a year. And Southern Baptists overall were giving a little more than 3% of their incomes. And it seems like we, maybe as a denomination, should have our training wheels put on. And say, maybe we need to learn some some balance in that. And maybe that might include us. Again, I don't know. We are not like other churches who find out what your income is, find out what you give, and do the math and say, I think you need to give more. I don't know who gives or what you give. I just know you're faithful givers, but I want to challenge us all to examine that. Maybe you've had your training wheels on for years and it's time you take them off and see what you can really do on this kind of cool dirt bike that you've got. Maybe God's leading you to do more than the law requires because grace always demands more than the law. So we're to give everything because everything comes from the Lord. It should all be used for his purpose. And a good starting point, I would encourage you to think about 10%. And that's a starting point. But I want to finish with a cautionary tale. And that's the tale of Judas. We're going to go to the same story, but in John. And we'll look at what John said about this. Now, there are some differences about these. When you read the John's passage, she's wiping his feet with her hair. And here in Mark, she was pouring it on his head. That's not contradictory. That's just saying she, she did his head and his feet, and they were just focusing on one aspect. But here in John, we gain a little bit more information. We get access to the heart of Judas. And look what it says in John 12. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intended to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this, 
not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had money, the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. When it came to giving, Judas had some particular views. I want to look at them as a cautionary tale for us to make sure that we check our spirit, check our motives, make sure we're not thinking about giving in the same manner as the man who, because of this episode, went to the priests and sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We read that right after, like in the, in the Mark passage, I stopped at nine, and if we went to verse 10, that's what Judas did. So Judas, note Judas's attitude toward giving. First, we see his attitude was, this was a waste. This beautiful act of love toward the Lord, giving up worldly possessions in order to be rich in devotion to Christ, holding back nothing when it comes to giving to Jesus. Judas saw this as a complete waste. And you can almost hear the rationalization. Well, Jesus didn't need that perfume, you could hear him say. Or maybe he didn't need all of it. Couldn't she have poured out some of it and we could have still sold some of it? And then we could have helped the poor and then we could help those in need and we'd have some in the money box so that we could really do ministry the way we want to do ministry. But that's really not his motive. The truth of the matter is Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. He wasn't concerned about the needy. Judas was concerned about Judas. He was looking out for number one. He said he used to pilfer. I'll get to that in a minute. He was worried about himself. He was trying to figure out how he could benefit if a smaller portion was given to Jesus. If I could, if I could finagle a way to look like I'm devoted to Jesus and given him a little bit, I could still have what I want. And that's that thief reaching in the window and giving part of his arm as punishment, okay? That doesn't work in God's economy. It's all or nothing. His attitude was that this was extravagant. This beautiful, extravagant gift to Jesus was simply a waste. And we also see that his motivation, his motivation was thievery. He was, it says, a thief. And it says he used to pilfer, and that means he used to regularly help him money. It, it, it's the connotation, the way it's written, is that he did this regular, on a regular basis. He'd skim off the top just to help himself out a little bit. Money had been given to Jesus and to do ministry, and he'd go in and skim a little off the top just because no one's going to miss it, and I'm keeping track of it all. And, and uh, so it was a regular practice of Judas to skim off the top to take money that was given to Jesus, and he did it for his own use. In short, Judas was stealing from God. And those who were familiar with the Bible, Judas being called a thief and stealing from God, that might have Malachi ringing in your ears. 
The prophet Malachi had a lot to say about tithes and offerings that the people of the Lord brought to him. The first part of Malachi, it says that um, it was concerned about the quality of the offerings. People would say, well, I got to offer to the Lord and I got this really nice prize goat, but here's one that's blind. It's no good to me. Let me give that to the Lord. (laughs) So they'd bring blind goats or lame sheep and, and God said, you are giving me less than the best. And then in the last part of Malachi, he talks about the quantity of their giving, of their offerings. And it says in Matthew, Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? And the answer is, well, how can the world, can we rob God? And he says, yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this. There's not many times God says, test me. Challenge, I challenge you to test me. And he says this, says the Lord of hosts, I will, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God told the people who were stealing from him when they would not bring their whole tithes and offerings to the temple, he said, you need to bring it all, all there. And, they, they would, and when they would bring some gifts to him, they would not bring the entire 10%. And remember, they were living under the law. They were required to. But not giving what the law required means they were robbing from God. And I would say, remember, grace always demands more. If we're giving less than 10%, my question is, are we stealing from God? And that's a question I think we really need to consider as believers. Not because we're under the law, because we are not. And I don't want someone to come up and say, you said the law says we're bound by the law to give 10%. I'm not. I'm not. And God says something remarkable here that I want us to focus on, and we cannot miss it. He said, test me in this. God challenges us. It's like God is saying, I double dog dare you to do this, (laughs) right? I dare you to trust me with 10% and see what I will do. And he says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And that doesn't really paint the picture that's being said here because when he says, I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven, that's the same phrase, the same word that's used in Genesis. Um, Genesis, uh, let me get the verse so I can, I can be sure. 7.11. I don't know why I didn't remember 7.11. Anyway, Genesis 7.11 where it says Noah got into the ark and God opened up the floodgates of heaven. It's the same word as here he says windows of heaven. The same Hebrew phrase. And he's saying this, I dare you, I double dog dare you to bring in the whole tithe, to give to me the 10% and watch if I will open up the floodgates of heaven, and torrentially rain down blessing upon you. Now, I am not a prosperity preacher, but I'm saying that's what God challenged us to do. And I can personally tell you 
It's the truth. I do not know how many times in Rhonda and my life where we were at the point where this happened. We need to buy diapers or we need to give to the Lord what we said we were going to give. And we said, I'm going to give to the Lord because we committed to do that. And then in the mail that week, there were sample diapers given. Now, I don't know any company ever that sent out sample diapers. I'm telling you, we received them. And we had enough to get to the place where we could buy some more diapers. There were times where we said, we need to go grocery shopping because we don't have anything, but we have to give the Lord what we said we were going to give to the Lord. What are we going to do? And we said, we're going to give to the Lord. And we'd go to church, we'd give the money, and we would worship and enjoy, and we'd come home, and I'm telling you, there'd be bags of groceries at our doorstep. Still don't know who got them to us. Well, I do know who got them to us, but I don't know what vessel God used. Where we said, we, we know these bills are coming due. These bills are coming due, and we don't have enough money in the bank to pay for them but we promised we would give to the Lord. And so we commit and we give to the Lord. And then that bill never came. So we called up the company and said, hey, our, our bill is due and we don't have a bill. And they said, well, we don't, we don't know why. So they looked it up and they said, yeah, um, we, we haven't sent you a bill yet. So let's send it to you. And you know what? We'll give you six weeks to cover it. And I'm like, I, I don't know how? I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden this bill that was due was pushed off to a time where we then could have enough money to pay the bill. And it's like God said, I challenge you to commit to giving. You know what? Now, when he says to give, I'm like, woohoo, <laughs> let's give. Let's see what he's going to do through this. Because he says, I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and torrentially bring down the blessings upon you. I'm telling you, not as a prosperity gospel, but I'm telling you, God honors that type of obedience. Our possessions, our money, they have the tightest hold on us. And when we say, Lord, I trust you in this, I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna give it all to you he honors that kind of trust and faith and commitment. So is this an area of your life that you need to examine? Is your giving an area of your Christian life? You say, I'm reading my Bible every day. Fantastic, praise God. I'm in church every Sunday. That is awesome. I love to see you here. I'm praying with the Lord hours and hours a day. That is great for you. That's like our breath. It needs to be done. But just like those aspects of worship, giving is an act of worship. And how does this fall in your Christian life? Has God been asking you to test him in your giving? You're like, I don't know how it's going to work. I can't promise you the same results that I got. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying my personal experiences, God honors his promise. <laughs> okay. And I know several of you would probably give the same testimony. 
So will you respond as Judas did or are you going to respond as Mary did? I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. Mary brought this extravagant, expensive gift to the Lord. All that she had and laid it at his feet. Well, poured it on his head and anointed his feet. And Judas said, what a waste. Where's your heart right now? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts in this matter. It's never fun to talk about giving and money and all that. We think this is a church. We should be thinking about spiritual things. And you talk about money as the spiritual hold that's got a hold of us. And when we let it go, we can follow you even more fully. I pray that we would we would think through this. You would shine a light in our heart that would expose anything that needed to be changed. And God, that if you are challenging anyone here, that they would have the, the faith and the courage to step out and give in the manner in which you have directed. God, I'm not asking to make the church rich. That's not why I'm preaching on this. I'm not asking for any other reason than this is part of the Christian life. And I pray you help incorporate it into each of our lives. Thank you for your word. Once again, thank you for stories like this lady who brought this beautiful gift to you. We can see what it means to fully be devoted to you. I ask that you move among these people right now and wherever conviction is needed, you'd bring it. Wherever encouragement's needed, you'd bring it. And that you would just speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.